Hi and welcome to the podcast. You're having tea with Alice. This week's episode is a solo episode. Uh, I'm at the beginning of the Melbourne International Comedy Festival and I am banking episodes with performers and other people here in Melbourne. But I wanted to do this solo episode mainly uh, to catch up with you, to have this moment to chat with you, to answer some of your questions. Uh, I did a Q&A on Instagram and so I'm going to answer some of those questions here. But more importantly, I wanted to engage with an email I got from one of my Patreon supporters asking a very complicated question. And I would like to talk it through with you, um, read the email. I will strip identifiers from it because it's quite a personal problem. But uh, this is not something that I've really done before at length, um, reading quite a long email and, and talking through it with you. Let me know if you think it's a good idea or if I should do more of this or if I should leave that for... Uh, Patreon bonus episodes or whatever. We'll see. Got to try new things sometimes. Um, Oh, plugging things. I should plug things. Melbourne, of course, Mythos is now two days in, two very rough days from from a standing start. First night, very rough. Second night, I feel like I can see the shape of the show. Uh, and now we are full bore ahead, 9.45 at the town hall, except on Sundays where it's 8.45 and Mondays where it's 8.30. Um, if you are an Audible subscriber, this is not an Audible ad, but I do have three documentaries up in the Audible Originals section, and I think that's there's places where it isn't. I think it's in the UK and Australia, maybe not in the US, but apparently they're doing very well. Um, so there's one on habit change, one on wellness, one on meditation. The trilogy has been nominated for uh, Best Australian Podcast. That's a thrill uh, in the comedy section. I you know, wow. It's, I mean, I think this is, this is, I feel odd at the moment. I, I was asked to do the Melbourne International Comedy Festival Gala. They've offered me a venue in the town hall, which all this nomination for an award, all of this feels like establishment recognition, which I'd reconciled myself to never having. To, I've, I've always been sort of on the outside, just just slightly, not in a bad way, just doing my own thing, uh, progressing very slowly, but surely along lines that I was interested in. And the result of that is that I've I've built something I'm very proud of. I love this podcast. I have never asked anyone what it should be other than you. Um, and I, I've done the bugle and all of these things that I'm interested in that don't really... Uh, mesh together necessarily in an obvious way, but all of them seem very natural to me. So to have all of a sudden these kind of, you know, out outside insiders insiders trying to trying to say that they now approve of what I do, it feels strange. I mean it feels good, but it also feels strange. I don't know if I trust it. <laughs> um but anyway, good things are happening. Um, email me at alicerfraser at gmail.com if you want to have a chat at alliterative on Twitter and Instagram and I will uh, answer now some of my Instagram questions that people have have been asking and then I will go to this longer letter about a serious topic that one of my listeners is wrestling with and I think will be interesting to do. So easy questions first, then we go to the hard question to which I have no answer but I'm hoping it will be interesting to hear into the podcast. Are you coming to America with your show? 
yes, soon, eventually. I'm making moves on getting a visa now, although I do need, apparently, for this visa between six and ten letters of recommendation from figures of authority to say it, that I'm a leader in my field. <laughs> I don't even know what my field is, but if you're an important fancy person and want to send me a letter of recommendation, please do. Um, what are the chances of you coming to Cairns in Australia? Unlikely unless I can find a hundred people and a room that people would want to put me in. Um, can you recommend a science fiction novel? Yes. Um, I mean, there's so many, it sort of depends on what your taste is. Try Hugo and Nebula Awards for a lead um, and then go from there. Uh, so that's good. Uh, more questions, more questions, more questions. Uh, what what lowbrow or pulpy entertainment do you enjoy and value? Uh, I love genre fiction, fantasy, sci-fi, um, some crime novels, not all. I like Dorothy L. Sayers as a crime novelist and uh, the occasional romance novel, Georgette Heyer, tends to be my go-to for comfort reading. That's uh, also punchy action films. I love punchy action films. I'm a big fan. I've never made a secret of that. <laughs> uh, which is more challenging, Melbourne or Edinburgh? Edinburgh is more challenging uh, than Melbourne. Um, that, that's true for an, any number of reasons. Even just the hugeness of Edinburgh is bigger. It's more of a challenge to get audience in. Um, shows start in in Melbourne. Shows start at about five p.m. and they go to about eleven p.m. In Edinburgh, shows start at ten a.m. and they finish at four a.m. It is nonstop, one hundred percent, all of the time. A fantasy city that only exists for a month and where the most important thing is art, and it's fantastic and fantastical and. A completely different beast to Melbourne. The, the The city of Melbourne operates in a way that means that people in Melbourne could not know that the festival is going on. Edinburgh is the festival for the month. Uh, how do you go about making your rants on the bugle? <laughs> um, I'm not sure if I should answer bugle questions on Tea with Alice, but um, the answer is I try to think of an angle that doesn't seem obvious on whatever the story is. And then I start writing and then I keep unpacking what I'm writing as I go along. And as I bump into second thoughts, it sort of unfolds in sub clauses. And then I think I really should turn those into separate sentences. And then I forget to do that. And then I'm halfway reading them and then I keep reading them. And that's how that happens. What is your favorite flavor of ice cream? Uh, it depends on what shop or brand. Um, there is a hazelnut gelato from Pompeii's in Bondi Beach in Sydney that is phenomenal, like absolutely phenomenal. Phenomenal. Uh, I would highly recommend that if you are an ice cream fan. If I eat too much ice cream, uh, I throw up, but not even not even throw up. It's like it hits my stomach and bounces straight back out. It's it's not even that gross. It's just like a baby. I don't know. So I have to be a bit picky about what ice cream I have and I can't have too much of it in one go. Um, next question. How did you meet Andy Zaltzman and what were your first impressions? All of these are bugle questions, but I will. I've said I will answer them. I will answer them. I met Andy for the first time, the first time I did the bugle, I think. I'd emailed him before to try and get him on tea with Alice, but the dates didn't line up. 
And then Tom Wright, who is now the head of podcasting at the ABC, had seen my show in Melbourne. And when Andy said, who should I get on the Bugle, Tom recommended me to Andy. I'd already had Helen on my podcast, so he might have heard my name. And we met the first time we did the podcast recording with Sammy Shah. Uh, And it was great. It was at the ABC in Melbourne. It went well, and I've never looked back since. I mean, I obviously have. There's been things behind me, but... You know what I mean. I'm just being silly. Uh, Next question. What is your most common procrastination tool? My most common procrastination tool is going for a long walk while listening to an audiobook or podcast. Um, Sometimes I will sit somewhere and read a book. That is also a useful procrastination tool. Then under that comes um, probably tidying things up or drawing, doing some other form of art that feels like doing something that isn't the thing I'm meant to be doing. I try to I try to make my procrastination at least feel slightly useful, uh, which walking feels like you're going somewhere at least, even though you're not uh, sort of work-wise. Next question. Tea or coffee? I mean, really? I'm not even going to answer that. <laughs> Next question, does a show evolve for months or is it a short-term flurry of activity to get it where you want to be? So what happens is almost immediately after Edinburgh, you have to put in your applications for the festivals of next year. And that means you have to come up with a title and a blurb um, out of the gate. And you're doing that without any idea of what the show is going to be or what you're going to be thinking about in six months or eight months. And So what happens is I put in the show title, I put in the blurb, and then I percolate for months while at the same time occasionally doing open mic nights and trying new material and putting together jokes. And then I sit down a couple of weeks, maybe a month, maybe two months before the festival and start writing the actual show. And then there is a flurry of activity two days before the show and then for the first three, four, five, six days of the show, I spend a lot of time writing, um, depending on what worked or what didn't, because you don't know what's going to work until it hits the audience's faces and bounces back at you in the form of laughter or silence. (laughs) Um, Next question. Ethos, mythos, another trilogy, question mark. Well, I don't know. We'll find that out. I'll see if thematic threads emerge in mythos that I think would match to ethos and then we'll see I've given myself room to do it just in case um next question are you coming to America with your show yes I am uh we had that conversation before and that is all the Instagram questions that I'm going to answer for now um I will now go to the more serious part of this podcast, which is engaging with this, um, engaging, which is talking through this email that I got from a Patreon subscriber. And I will not tell you their name um, because uh, I haven't asked permission for for using their name, but um, here we go. I'm one from the Bugle. That's excellent. In fact, you may be my favorite Bugle co-host. Thank you. I I am a podcast addict and I'm grateful for the material you put out there, Trollplay, Your Trilogy, and Tea with Alice, which I now support. I sometimes ask myself, what have I been wrestling with lately? 
cool. I'm glad to, that I've had that influence on you. Uh, shall we give you a name, a, a pseudonym for the purposes of this email, friend? Let's call you um, Steve. That, that is not the name of the person who has written, but I'm going to call the person Steve uh, in order to have someone to talk to in this process of doing a solo podcast um, to my email. This is really weird. This is what Steve says, quote, Steve says, quote, this is really weird, but I thought I would write to you about my brother. If anything, writing this to a complete stranger will organize my thoughts and maybe help me find some peace. Well, Steve, I'm glad that I hope that this sending this email has done that for you. The, the question you're about to raise is one that I've wrestled with and I don't have good answers for, but I think is worth talking through. Back to the email. It's difficult to summarize, but basically my brother is seriously depressed, and to put it mildly, he doesn't have a very constructive attitude. That makes it very difficult for me to interact with him, and I don't know what to do. Um, there's some details about where they live, which I won't um, say out loud, but basically they live in different places and we don't see each other very often. So we mostly interact online in a WhatsApp group. Not ideal. You are correct, Steve. That is not ideal. Uh, Steve continues, my brother is likely to go on long rants either about how he's feeling, very depressed, or how everything is hard and unfair to him, or what others deserve, sometimes using quite violent or graphic language. I find it difficult on many levels, in no particular order. I myself wrestle with depression and loneliness, though I'm doing much better than I used to. Because of this, defense mechanisms kick in and have me switch off and ignore him so I can protect my bubble. Okay, Steve, you are incorrect to call it a bubble. What those defense mechanisms are, are a shield. It's not a bubble to need to protect your own emotional well-being. I've been in this situation before with uh, a friend and also with my mum. Uh, they were both at the same time. My mum was very sick uh, with some psychosis and um, in deep, deep trouble and my friend was having a, depress a depressive spiral and he was asking for my help and I had figured out the maths of my emotional availability, which was if I spent half an hour to 40 minutes with my mum being soothing and calming and, and loving in the face of her distress, I could buy her about five minutes of relative peace. And when my friend asked me, you know, to help him through his depression, I said no. Um, and it was sort of the first time in my life that I'd ever done that, that I'd ever refused someone emotional support. And it was because that maths was so clear um, of how much peace I could buy with how much effort. And I, I just couldn't bring myself to give it to my friend. It was all for my mum. And I know that was hurtful to him at that time. But that was a decision I made. To return to the email, Steve says, The world is a nasty place, and if you look at anything with any kind of scrutiny, it's difficult not to be depressed by it. We have BBC News in the background at work, and I learned this week about breast ironing. What is breast ironing, Steve? I'm... Am I going to have to Google a terrible thing? Ugh. Um, which is a new horrifying thing I had no idea existed. It's incredible the capacity of the world to keep finding new, surprising, horrible things, even at my age. Anyway, because of these things, I'd rather have something positive to see and talk about where possible, hence my high consumption of comedy. 
good work, Steve. That is a good choice. Uh, we do um, live in a world that's full of terrible things, and if we turn our attention to them exclusively, that shapes our idea of the world and it shapes our capacity to think about the world. If we are always thinking about negative things, we are more capable. We, we work that muscle. We get better at thinking about negative things than we do at thinking about positive things. Your brain is part of your body and as all parts of your body can, it can be trained. Um, so the more, the more you get angry, the more you get angry, for example. Back to the email. My brother has always taken a lot of space when I was growing up and that probably exacerbated, exacerbated my natural tendency to be private and quiet. I feel bad if I ignore his messages. Sometimes I try really hard to give constructive feedback as diplomatically as possible on how he could maybe change his attitude. For instance, he's had some genuinely nasty experiences with a neighbour uh, and I've also had a bad experience once with a roommate, so I can empathise. However, he'd been going on for months about how he was going to find a house to buy somewhere quiet, but he was still doing exactly nothing concrete towards his house project. I find I can't win. If I ignore him, I feel bad. It's difficult to show empathy because nothing makes him feel better or like less of a victim. So what I tried was pointing out that for months he was saying he was going to look at buying a house and then he did nothing and... What could he do that was a small thing towards his goal that would make him feel better? And that didn't go down well. I think he got so low he didn't go to work for several days and didn't talk to any of us for a few more days on top of that. I mean, Steve, this is terrible. Like, that's a really hard thing to deal with. If you're trying to be helpful in a small, delicate way, walking on eggshells, and and somebody not only refuses to um, be generous with you, you know, if someone's trying something and it's not working, you at least sort of encouragingly be like, oh, yeah, thanks for the help. <laughs> but uh, it is really hard to offer help and have it not just rejected but seen as an attack. That's really brutal. I'm sorry, Steve. Uh, back to the email. Most often, instead of getting really low, he just gets really defensive and basically tells us off and, and refuses to get the point we made. Like when we were growing up, we have to walk on eggshells around him. Ha, I was right. Uh, which I feel is a form of terrorism. <laughs> Certainly emotional terrorism. Um, Steve's first language isn't English, so that's an interesting... Um, uh, I think that's a translation issue, but I know what you mean, an emotional terrorism. Back to the email. Sometimes he mentions suicide either as a dark joke or to tell us that we should then rejoice because he would at least be at peace. Our mum is in the group chat and I know this affects her a lot as well even though her replies are as neutral and as encouraging as possible. Writing this, I'm struck by the enormity of it. For me, it's a lack of respect from him towards himself, us, and above all, our mum. Despite that, I really do love my brother with all my heart and I know he's experiencing an immense amount of genuine suffering, but his attitude is so negative, victimized, extreme, lacking any sense of boundaries, immature, it's infuriating and I wish I could shake some sense into him. I wish we could instate some ground rules or boundaries, but there is never a better moment to talk about it. He's tried to get professional help in the past, uh, but his last shrink was no good and he doesn't want to try someone else. To be honest, I can empathise to some degree, having had my own relationship with depression and having heard a fair amount of rubbish over the years. I know when you're low, you don't want to be sold false hopes. 
personally, I just persist and go forward. And when I feel really low, I keep it to myself until I feel a bit better and can do a small constructive step. It would never occur to me to broadcast my worst feelings to my family without any pride or boundaries, knowing it won't even help me and will bum everyone out and then refuse any sort of help. Am I being really harsh and lacking compassion? Don't worry, I know you're not a shrink and I'm not expecting anything from you. Equally, if you have something to suggest, I would be grateful. Steve, you are in a brutal situation. There are people in this world who you love, and if they are in a particular mental state, there there are kinds of of mental states that are black holes that, that you could pour all of the love and compassion and energy that you have into that hole and it wouldn't it wouldn't even buy you 5 minutes of peace for them so i know that feeling of of immense frustration when you you can't you are helpless in the face of the suffering of someone you love on one hand and also that their suffering being in incapable of being fixed by you becomes intolerable if it it's the worst thing in the world to be presented with problems that you cannot fix it's why watching the news too much makes you go mad um it's it's torment seeing problems that you can do nothing about again and again and again and it's worse when they are the problems of people you love because if you love them you feel like you should be able to affect their lives because they can affect your life his depression is is making you sad his sadness is hurting you so surely you should be able to do something to him or for him but there's a sort of a i used to call it the negator um it it, this there's a there's a story about um the ice queen whose mirror shatters and there are two children who get shards of the ice queen's mirror in them and one of them gets a shard in their eye and one of them gets a shard in their heart and the one with the shard in his eye cannot see anything except bad things and the one with the shard in the heart can't feel anything except bad things and i know that some people are like that and i know that some mental states encourage that it make it impossible to see anything other than the worst in the world it's it's a terrible terrible thing that if you can't see anything good in the world if you are, are you know almost physically blind to the positive things in the world um there are the one of the difficult things about depression is that people who are depressed are not irrational the world is full of suffering but also puppies are making friends with turtles like there are good things in the world and and so many things are true at the same time that it is possible to find good in the world it just feels impossible when you're in that mental state but it is it is possible to see good things in the world because so many things are true at the same time if your house burns down and you drag your family out, you know, coughing and spluttering. You could look at the house and think how terrible it is that you've lost your house, or you could look at your family all alive with you by your side and feel happy that you all got out safely. Or if you're in a, a kind of a balanced person and not an evangelical, evangelical happiness merchant and not a depressed person, you can look at both and go, 
That's a terrible thing that the house burned down, and I'm really happy that my family is safe. I think that's the the moment of balance, you know, if you're not somebody who's merchandising self-help constant positive talk, which can be as obnoxious as anything else, and you're not suffering from a mental uh, chemical imbalance like depression, you are capable of seeing both sides in the world and then you have a choice about what you cultivate. You have control over whether you cultivate a more positive view of the world or where you try and bring good things into your life and deal with the bad things as stoically and pragmatically as possible. Get them, not not ignore them, not suppress them, but get them dealt with as quickly as possible, I think is the most pragmatic way to deal with emotions if you can. But if you are sick, like your brother and like you occasionally are, it becomes a much more difficult proposition. And if if your brother is a black hole, you cannot set boundaries for him because he's not in his right mind. You can only set boundaries for yourself, how much you are willing to give or what you're willing to um, uh, reward, I guess. Because if his it's not mutually exclusive. He could be genuinely, genuinely suffering and also using this kind of talk of suicide and his own pain as a way to hurt you. He might be doing it in complete, sort of almost at complete random that he can't help tell you these things and he trusts you and and that. Or he could be doing it as a way to feel like he has some power in the world. Um, It's you know, I think maybe the response is just to send him, I don't know what 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 your country has in terms of um, suicide hotlines, but maybe it's just send him the suicide hotline number every time he mentions suicide, um, which could be construed as passive-aggressive and probably will be if he is in that mental state, but I can't think of, of anything that you can do that will fix that. <clears throat> so... I don't have answers for you, Steve. I'm I'm sorry you're in this condition. I think many of us are if we have compassion and friends uh, or family. family. Um, if anyone else has any answers um, or any solutions or any tactics or anything to try, email me at alicerfraser at gmail.com or hit me up on the Patreon. I will pass it on to Steve in his incarnation as a real person with a real name. If you have any other questions you'd like to ask, uh, also feel free to hit me up. And I hope this was an interesting um, experiment, an interesting exercise, talking through an email rather than talking to a wall, uh, talking to one of you um, Patreon supporters as though you were in the room, um, taking both sides of that conversation uh, a little bit. Let me know if it worked or if it didn't work or if there's anything that you would like to see or hear, rather, more of in this podcast or see on my Patreon page. That is enough talking from me. I will see you next week. There are some exciting guests coming up.
Oh, do you know her or do you not? This dolphin mistress that we have got. Elsie Thompson, it is her name, and she helps the dolphins at every frame. Lousy rifle, doll, lousy rifle, day. On Monday morning, when she comes in, she hangs her coat on the highest pin. Turns around for to view her frames, crying, damn you, doppers, cry up your ends. Lousy rifle, doll, lousy rifle, day. And when the boss, he looks round the door, tie your ends up, doppers, he will roar. Well, tie our ends up, we surely do, for Elsie Thompson, but not for you. Lousy rifle, doll, lousy rifle day. Oh, Elsie Thompson is going away, is it tomorrow or yet today? We'll tie our ends up and leave our frames and wait for Elsie to return again. Lousy rifle, doll, lousy rifle, doll.